Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode thirteen of Naked Data Science, the number one podcast on leading data science projects and teams in the real world. In this episode, we discuss the differences of data science work in what we call data science giant companies versus smaller companies. We talk about the number one pitfall of highly specialized roles, the consequence of premature optimization, the garden of many low-hanging fruits, the hidden reasons why these giants publish more papers, and why you shouldn't blindly follow them. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Naked Data Science. This is Hao, and I'm Nima. All right. In this episode, we are going to talk about the difference between data science giants, so big companies, and the smaller players, because we think there are some very interesting differences between the two in terms of how they approach data science organization work. But also, as a data scientist, if you work in these two type of organizations, then your daily work can be very, very different as well. Yes, naturally, people in smaller companies and companies with younger data science look up to work that comes from bigger players in data science, that comes from trendsetters in the field, and this is natural because they've already advanced the field so much, and a lot of the shiniest, a lot of the best solutions, a lot of good experiences come from the bigger players. But of course, there are also pitfalls in directly taking and applying the recipes and the solutions that are used and made by these giants in the field. I think to start. We can talk about where a lot of these differences come from, which is in bigger organizations you have more people, and naturally there tends to be more specialization, both in terms of teams and also individual roles. So you can expect to see data scientists, data analysts, machine learning engineers, and data engineer, and all these kind of very specific roles. Versus in smaller companies or startups, you tend to see people who wear many. Hats probably have one data guy that is both working on the search algorithm, but also doing some basic modeling, creating some of the contents, and things like this. It could be a bit of a pitfall for people starting to work as data scientists or the data science teams in smaller companies to have this super specialized picture of teams and people and skills in mind. As you said, it makes more sense in bigger organizations, in bigger teams, to have people who are experts in a specific field. And of course, there's value in being that person in many places. But a lot of the companies that look for data scientists, especially this kind of problem solver data scientists, they expect him or her. To be able to handle a multitude of tasks, to have good basics in understanding the data, communicating findings, diving into data, and finding solutions. In that situation, being specialized in one corner of your job can limit you a lot in the opportunities that you could exploit in the places that you can make impact. It can also lead to some situations which are a bit counterintuitive. I've seen more than a few cases people who are, for instance, very good in applying deep. Learning, working with TensorFlow or other frameworks out there, who are lacking some very basic skills in getting data from a relational database, in writing SQL queries that go a little bit beyond simple joins and aggregations, and that to me seems to be a missed opportunity for these people. You can have role models and look up to people who are very good in one specific thing, and then also assume that that's all they do and that's all you need to focus on. But in reality, the basics are always very 
very important. And the set of tools that enable you to be more independent, handle more things on your own, even if you're not doing it yourself, to have a better understanding of the surroundings of your work could be very beneficial in the type of problem solver you are and in the amount of impact that you can make. In theory, you can still choose the solution that makes the most sense, apply the skills that you think make most sense. But then in reality, once you have very specialized roles, you also start seeing that there are more handovers between the roles. In order for a piece of work to get done, you need to go from data analysts to data scientists to machine learning engineers, and then further down the line, each of these handover defines a boundary between the different roles. So you are not supposed to care about what happened before or what happened after your part of the work. And also that means that in order to retain the context and the reasons and the intent of why a certain piece of work needs to be done, there needs to be a lot more communication between people they are doing the handover of work. And in our experience, we have seen that this is not something that can be just solved by having a product owner or a technical project manager overseeing everybody's work. By specializing, you make it more likely that you miss the big picture. There are very good reasons, very valid situations to be very specialized, but it could also be a trap in missing the opportunity of seeing the big picture and because of that, seeing the possibility of a better solution because of different data that you can use, maybe different way of even shaping the problem from the beginning. And for data scientists, especially in the beginning of their career, this could be a bit detrimental to their development. In engineering, in data science, in many fields, some of the best problem solvers that you see are people who have more than one basic skill, who can take care of their own. They have a sufficient understanding of many different areas that can allow them to put the pieces of a solution together if it's needed. Even if you end up never putting all the pieces together yourself, the fact that you know on a good level, you have a basic solid understanding of what happens in these pieces can help you understand the solution more effectively. And these things can be really game changers when you want to be a world-class problem solver. I think if you work in a smaller company, you really need to have the correct expectations that a lot of times data might not be readily available for you in-house so you can just go on and do needs modeling work. A lot of times even certain systems might not be there and the processes are not standardized. Like in bigger companies who has done that for many, many years, they will have all these things in place. However, that also gives you a certain degree of freedom in the sense that you are not constrained by any of the existing systems, processes, or data. So I think this reflects quite well in the dynamic of big companies versus small companies in general in business, because small companies cannot compete with big companies on economy of scale. But then what they can do is being more flexible, being more innovative. You can expect to see similar dynamic when you are working on data science work in these two types of organizations. On one hand, it's good to learn from a good system. There's definitely security in a well-running system. But on the other hand, it's also a good chance to start establishing a system, to be part of the team that can start to look and ask the questions for the first time of what kind of data is useful here? What could be the good processes for storing this data? What could be effective ways for retrieving this data? For instance, one of the nice things that happens in smaller companies, especially when the data science is younger, is that you 
end up coming to the conclusion about the type of processes, about the type of systems that you need by running into problems. And I know it's not always the most efficient way to get there, but it's one of the best ways to learn why you need a system, to understand why a specific procedure is needed and what kind of problems could be caused when it's not there. It's good to be at least ready to face these challenges. One negative thing that can happen when you work in a younger, smaller company is that you can go with the expectations of the work conditions that are available in already established places. And that could cause a lot of dissatisfaction for you. When you are building even a new system in a bigger organization or in a more mature data science organization, there is much more emphasis on being able to scale, being able to run fast, being able to have real time and up to date and all these kind of requirements that tend to be less of a concern if you are working in a smaller company. That is a dynamic that we have seen before can really get into the way because premature optimization is the source of all evil. And if you work in a big company because there's more tendency to force you to think like this way, then you might be start thinking about already how you would optimize a data-driven solution right after your exploration stage or before you have a good idea of the shape of the solution you want to develop. I can see a lot of cases where you might be naturally led into this path. For instance, you're looking at the end result of a very brilliant work done at a very brilliant company. And of course, some of the biggest challenges they have to face is how to make this maybe half a percent faster. And these are very valid concerns in many places, but could not be the points of focus when you're starting in a new direction, when you're working in a younger data science setup. If you start focusing on your scale, when you don't really have shaped your solution, you're already making yourself move a lot heavier than you need to. And taking the possibility of exploration, taking the possibility of looking quickly in different directions, which is part of your advantages as a smaller organization, away from yourself. And this is kind of an ironic situation because the bigger players are concerned of keeping the startup culture in their organization, keeping the lightness, bringing back that speed, that pace that they could move with when they were smaller and when they had to respond to less customers, when they didn't have to be disresponsive, back into their way of thinking and their way of working. The irony is that the smaller players, the younger teams, who want to replicate them get a lot obsessed with some of the final bells and whistles that the big guys have to add to their systems, which are not really their strong points, but actually more like limiting factors in their progress and in the speed that they can move forward. Similar to that, another thing that bigger companies envy the smaller companies is in the area of low-hanging fruits. Every company is based on certain business model. As the company started, you try to figure out a business model, and once you figure out how to create value and make money out of it, then you start optimizing. The return on investment on each opportunity you see on this journey start becoming less and less. The same applied to data science type of work. So if you have a company that has figured out a business model, the first time somebody take a data-driven problem-solving perspective and say, where are the opportunities? That person is going to find a lot of opportunities because this way of looking at a business has not been done before. And it is very powerful because the world runs on data. But if you are the hundreds or the thousands person who come into this business and do the same exercise, you might have seen that, wait a minute, all the low-hanging fruits are already gone. 
and all we have left with are minor improvement areas or small tweaks that you can do. Again, kind of an ironic situation because in terms of creating value and creating profits, low-hanging fruits are amazing. In established businesses in very competitive fields, you don't come across them very often because like you said, as a matter of the number of experiments that have happened, most of the low-hanging fruits have already been picked. And it's easy to also have this mentality when you're working in a younger company, when you're working in a more green field, to assume there are no low-hanging fruits. Well, actually, there's a good chance that a lot of things haven't been experimented with and you might be the first one to think about something. It might look to you that this is not cool because that's not what I see the bigger guys doing and also it might look as this shouldn't be valuable because it doesn't have a lot of complexity but it's crucial to have your eyes open for this low-hanging fruit because these are great opportunities to move forward. There are a lot of 80-20s that haven't been discovered yet and you might have a lot of good shortcuts to go the 80% very fast and of course course you're then in a stronger position to go the rest of the path getting closer to the point where incremental improvements become necessary another aspect of this is the difference in the baselines and first measurements when you're in a more established field you have the advantage that a lot of baselines are already established a lot of measurements have already been done but you have to be prepared and when you're in a younger company when you're in a more green field to be the first one to establish those baselines to be the first one that has to actually think about good KPIs for measurements, good metrics, and good ways to actually measure those metrics in your field. And this is also a kind of a unique challenge for the smaller players that is not talked so much about or is not very prevalent among the bigger companies. Also, that's not only just about opportunity itself, but when you look from the business perspective, the incentives are also very different. If you are a big organization, what you are seeing is a situation where even if we can just improve this thing for 0.01%, that will bring us half a million. Versus in a smaller company, there's nothing there and you need to create something. But then the expectation there ended up being very, very different. Because then in a bigger company, you will be more naturally pulled into looking at existing solution and trying to figure out how you can get that 0.01% improvement. Carrying over to the day-to-day, -day, probably need to talk to a lot of people from different part of the company and likely experiment on the same stuff, but quite consistently in order to figure that out. On the other hand, if you are in a situation where there is nothing, then you are naturally forced to look at the problems from a more holistic perspective, not only talk to different roles in the company, probably across different disciplines, but also look outside the organization and see how things were done elsewhere and how different competitors are tackling the problem. And this creates very different way of thinking and also different day-to-day -day work. I think there's something very fundamental there. And there's also possibility of making mistakes because of that very fundamental concept that you mentioned. Very small incremental changes in a huge business can be very economically viable. But this is not the case in smaller businesses. And that changes the game a lot in the way you think about improvement, in the way that progress is measured and progress is discussed. I encourage more data scientists to think about the scale of their impact in this way. You might see a lot of examples out there that get a lot of recognition by adding a good amount of complexity for a comparatively small increment in performance. 
The reason that this is important and interesting is the scale of things, because that small improvement on the scale that it is being applied is still very economically important. But when you're operating at a smaller scale, it becomes much less important to make those incremental improvements. And as you mentioned, it becomes much more important to maybe make a paradigm shift, to look into a different area of solutions, or to even start solving different problems. That difference itself can have very far-reaching consequences in your everyday work, but also in the path of progress for a whole organization. And that is really easy to miss on the level of individuals. This is why in bigger companies, there is a natural preference for more solutions that can squeeze out that 0.01%. They can afford a research team and then work on some more fundamental or some cutting edge or theoretical topics. That is one of the reasons why you see that bigger companies tend to publish more. And those publications are more often than not in the same direction. How do you improve this existing thing marginally? And that is very meaningful for bigger companies. But on the other hand, if you are in a smaller company, then this is definitely not something that you can afford to do or even be interested in doing. On one hand, the bigger players definitely use those tools themselves a lot more and use them much more frequently on much larger scales. So developing those tools makes sense. The concept of a specialization that we also discussed in the beginning makes it much easier to do this. So you have people who are specialists in developing tools, in making tools, and of course the rest of your organization are going to also employ those tools. So it just makes it a lot more viable to spend time on this. And another aspect of it which is not directly connecting at least to the benefits of the tools and the direct profits coming from them is the image and reputation of the bigger players. A lot of the big players like Google, like Facebook, like Microsoft are also in the game of competing with each other in terms of reputation, in terms of showing how good they are in research and how good they are in developing these tools. It means that they get better talent joining their company. It also establishes them as leaders in research in data science. And on a lot of levels, developing tools advancing tools are justifies for these big corporations. Of course, the smaller teams also develop tools, but we should always consider the incentives, the possibilities, and the resources that are available to bigger players for focusing on developing the next tools, for focusing on working the next algorithm, which don't necessarily apply to the smaller players, to the younger data science teams, and the average player in the data science market. It's very natural to look at those latest research and and publications and say, I need to implement that in my work. I need to bring that into our business and that's going to move us forward. Chances are it's not. It might move you forward, but it might not justify the effort of doing so simply because you don't have the scale the ROI formulas for the bigger players and the smaller players could have really different parameters in these situations. And for good decision making, both the data scientists, but also the team leads, the organization leads need to be really aware of these difference in parameters. That being said, I think there is still a lot of value for smaller players to understand and to look at what the bigger players are doing. It definitely pays off to learn from their work. And especially if they're open to share it, the mistakes and also the paths they have taken to get to the success path.
Yeah, it seems like the current atmosphere and the possibilities out there could be actually quite in favor of the smaller players because there's a lot of openness. So you can learn a lot from the path that is taken by the giants, by the bigger players. You can definitely piggyback on their learnings and also piggyback on their tools, on the data that they make available and do a lot of things more easily. But in the meantime, you just have to be aware of not falling into the trap of putting your foot always in their footsteps and just blindly take their recipes and applying them to your work. I think that's more or less for this episode. So tradition of the show, what is one key takeaway that the audience can apply tomorrow to their daily work? One takeaway I have in my mind is to be aware of the weight that you're moving with. A lot of the solutions that are made by the bigger players have a good amount of complexity, bells and whistles that move with them, which are not really necessary for the smaller, younger teams to carry with themselves. I think my main takeaway would be to reflect on and to think if you're moving with more weight than it is necessary, and in that way, are you restricting yourself from moving at the pace that is available to you and could benefit you in your development. Along the same line, next time if you find yourself or your team member thinking about, hey, we just learned that big player X is doing this, shall we do that too? Or shall we look into that too? Maybe just spend a little bit more time to understand the context they are doing this, what specific products or business models are they applying that to? And then think critically, what makes sense to do in our case? And more often than not, you will come to the realization that probably it's not worth doing it at all, or probably you can get similar result with much faster and less complicated solution. So I think that's it. Thank you for listening and see you next time. See you next time. Just one last thing before you go. If you are not a data scientist yet, but want to become one, you should really attend our webinar. We will demystify the transition into data science. We'll show you the most effective way to build your skills and we'll advise you on the four possible options you can take to go from where you are to landing a data science job in as little as nine months. Find out more at nds.show forward slash webinar. That is nds.show forward slash webinar. All right, that's the end of this episode. Have a nice day. Mm-hmm.